the football neophyte, where an American who knows a lot about sports but little about soccer journeys through the 2018-19 Premier League season to discover a team to root for. Welcome to this week's episode of the Football Neophytes podcast. Nate and Chris here, and we are welcomed in Phoenix, Arizona. So though you will hear an accent, we are actually sitting in Arizona, Tempe technically, with Ant Evans. He is a lifetime supporter of Cardiff City Football Club. Ant, welcome to the podcast. Good afternoon. Thank you. I don't know what you just said. Good afternoon in Welsh. Okay, that is... I have a a little bit of Welsh in me, but I have learned zero language and it's probably so far back that I don't even know which which part of the family, but um, we're super thankful to have you here. As I mentioned, we're here in your office or in a a conference room near your office on the beautiful, amazing, wonderful campus of the Arizona State University, the Sun Devils, which is my alma mater. And we are happy to be here with you. I'm sure you are. And they've had a great season against the U of A particularly, haven't they? We love it. We love it. That's, we don't use the term Derby, obviously, but that no. is, that's our Derby, the U of A in all sports. So we have had a great, a great season actually in football, basketball, and baseball. Yes. So really nice. The, the sports that matter to Americans, uh, <laughs> we've, we've played quite well against them. So welcome on. Thank your, you. Uh, your Twitter mentions because someone's going to be like, uh, actually, this year in water polo, we beat you guys five to three. That's true, but we don't care, right? <laughs> we, we won't care about that. All right, Ant. Well, let's get right on into it then. Uh, so, you know, kind of basic questions to get things rolling, and we really want to hear about how you got into this. So how did you even become a fan of Cardiff? Well, I was taken there by, by my dad. So back in 1977-78, he took me to see my first three games, Crystal Palace, Notts County, and um, Orient. Um, I think we beat one, we drew one, we lost one. We finished a point above the relegation zone that season. I was eight, nine at the time. Um, and I've gone ever since. My dad was from a um, mining town about 25 miles north of Cardiff. We were living at the time along the coast from Cardiff, um, but the catchment area for Cardiff Football Club really does extend all the way up to the Welsh Valleys with the coal mining, um, as far as Newport in one direction and as, and as far as Bridgen, Port Talbot in the other direction. Yeah, so you bring up something right away, right, that's important and kind of something that I don't totally understand, but but Cardiff is in Wales, yes. yet they're playing in the Premier League, which I know there's other Welsh teams that have played in the Premier yeah. League as well, but when you get relegated, you get relegated to the championship potentially, mm-hmm. right? So it's English football, yes. it's the English FA, Help me understand how does the do does Wales have a football association and if not or if so then why are they playing okay. in the English? Epic? It's a historical anomaly, quite honestly. Cardiff was set up in 1899, took the current name Cardiff City in 1910, and it was one of about six or eight clubs that were invited at the time by the Football League 
to go and play in the English Football League. You'll note that the FA in England isn't called the English FA, English Football Association, it's called the Football Association. Okay. And their idea at the time was that they would invite teams from Scotland and Wales to join them. We had a sizable um, and thriving mining, mining community. They were taking, uh, exporting, I think, uh, the most coal anywhere in the world from Cardiff at that time. Um, these people were traveling to the Midlands, to the Birmingham clubs, to even to Bristol to watch football at that time and the uh, English leagues, but, well, come and join us. Uh, four teams basically survived, um, Cardiff, Swansea, Newport and Wrexham. Uh, Wrexham has currently dropped out, sadly, but the past 10 years they've been played in the conference, which is the one below, League Two. Um, other teams are in there. I think it was Aberdeer and there was Merthyr Tidville, neither of which play in, in there at that time. The actual Welsh League wasn't set up until the uh, 1990s, although the Football Association of Wales, of which Cardiff is a member, um, has been, is the third oldest football association in the world and helps determine all the rules with IFAD. Um, so Cardiff had this strange situation up until both Cardiff and Swansea went to the Premier League whereby um, we played, participated in the English system, we participated in the English Cups, um, we were able to qualify for Europe through the Welsh Cup, which was quite an oh, easy route. Uh -huh. And if we had any disciplinary issues, we were treated uh, a call before the Welsh FA and not the English FA, uh -huh. which caused no end of trouble, because they intervened in terms of suspensions for players, overturning them, they passed verdicts upon any crowd hooliganism that some of our clubs may have been involved in. And some of the English clubs felt that was wrong. Huh. I can understand why. Yeah. Um, there is now a, um, we're, we're not a member of the English FA. Technically, we are not allowed to represent England in Europe, although Scotland did. Uh, and I'm sorry, sorry, Swansea did. Uh -huh. um, they finished seventh they, or something. They, and made... they um they qualified through winning the um, Carling Cup. Okay. Um, and is that now the Carabao? Yes. Carling's now Carabao. Yes. Okay. Yes. Just to help so us out. <laughs> they, they, they were allowed to go, to go through it on that basis. Um, but, I mean, up until I think it was 2008, we uh, got all the way through to the FA Cup final. And at that time, we were told, even if you win it, you're not going to represent England. Wow. And uh, Michelle Platini at UEFA said, well, you may not allow them in, but we'll give them a wild card entry if they want it. Unfortunately, we didn't. But then, you know, as I say, a couple of years later, Swans were able to get through. Interesting. Okay. That's a great, that's a great history. It helps us kind of understand how it all it, it, works. It certainly annoys a lot of other English clubs. Why are the Welsh even in you? Why are they not playing in the Welsh League, which is a league of 12 teams who probably get on average anywhere between 500 to 1,000 fans watching them yeah. per game. They still qualify for Europe, so they still get their the winner. They do. Yeah. Um, I have a couple of teams that qualify for Europe. So, you know, I mean, it, it is disappointing that we can't qualify for Europe directly anymore through the Welsh system, but you, you cannot really underwrite the riches that are available to the team through the English system. Even someone like Newport who are League Two, they've made a you know a bank probably six figures this season off of um, their cup run. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, and that's I, I imagine like the advantage of being in the FA, the English FA, 
or and having the opportunity to play at the Champions League level far outweighs the opportunity to directly qualify to Europe through a Welsh league or it something. Is. I mean, quite frankly, I think, you know, the chances of the Welsh team to get qualifying for the Champions League are slim to, to none. Um, Leicester was probably another anomaly from yeah. a few years ago. Yeah. But we could still technically qualify for the UEFA Cup through through the Cups now. Um, and, you know, I mean... And even through the seventh place finish, right? Because could, if, the, if the Cups, as I understand now, if the Cups are won by top six clubs, it'll drop to the it seventh. Will. Yep. It will. It will. So, I mean, there's always a chance there, an opportunity for that to happen. It's a shame. I've seen Cardiff play a few European games through the... Uh, through the Welsh Cup, and you know they got all the way through to the semi-final of what was called the European Cup Winners' Cup in 1969, just off the back of that. So, you know, it's it's a shame. It, it, we I think we, they did a league table at one point when the European Cup Winners' Cup was stopped in I think it was like the 80s, late 80s, early 90s, and we were like a mid-table team because we qualified so many times and had so many wins in there. It looked really good for us. And that, that cup was actually positioned between what was then known as the European Cup, which is the Champions League now, okay. and then the UEFA Cup, which is below the European Cup Winners' Cup. Got it. So quick question for you, Ian, on that. Um, is there any fear of, of just the Premier League being like, nope, okay, we're done with the Welsh teams, you guys are all done? Or are you guys kind of grandfathered into it? Like there's, there's no fear for you guys of ever just getting the boot? I think we're grandfathered into it. I, I, I you know, I'm not quite certain what the political landscape is going to be like in the UK going forward. You know, the, the times there are, are quite challenging. People are certainly questioning, you know, whether the UK should exist in its current form. Yep. And that could have implications, I suppose, for, for teams like Cardiff and Swansea. Hmm. That being said, you know, there are examples already where teams play in other nations' leagues. So you've got Derry City in Ireland that play um, in the north, they play in the Southern Ireland leagues. You've got Liechtenstein teams playing in Switzerland. You've got Berwick Rangers, which is an English team, playing in Scotland. So, uh, and actually, in the Welsh League, you've got an English team, TNS, um, that, are, that are playing there. So, you know, it, 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 it does happen. Yeah. Um, That's amazing. So, uh, you know, there's a couple things in walking through this, uh, this journey of choosing a club to support and follow that I've just loved that's so unique about each club. And, and one of them is the songs or the chants. Mm -hmm. And I just saw another one, a, a brand new one for the Wolves. You know, they've got uh, a Mexican guy on their team. So they've come up with this clever one, Si Senor. Like, you know, they're yeah. integrating Spanish into their chants. It's just, it's, it's great. It's so fun. So uh, does, does Cardiff have a song that is the song that, you know, the club comes out to and everyone sings, or if not, what's, what's your favorite? There's a host of different songs they've gone through over the years. Um, they often have a Welsh theme. Um, there are two chants, one's not really a chant, but there are two that are synonymous with Cardiff. Okay. One is um, based upon a, um, a, a mining folk song um, called I'll Be There. Um, it's something that's been chanted on the terraces since I've been going there, and it's, it's still chanted today. Um, it relates back to, in, in the 1920s, there were major strikes taking place in the UK. The Welsh miners were the last people to go back to work. They were virtually starved to go back to work by the, 
London government at that time, and they sang this song, and as I say, we still sing it, and it's adorned on, on merchandise. The other thing that we're probably well known for is something called Do the Ayatollah. Now, this is a gesture that we actually do, um, whereby we raise our hands above our forehead and we tap our forehead. If, if you've ever seen any um, video footage on the news of Iranians in mourning, um, it's something that they do. And this dates back to about, I think, it, looking at the date, and I was actually at this game, September 1990, away to Lincoln City in what was at that time, I think, called, was either going to be called uh, probably Division 4 or maybe in Division 3, I'm not sure, um, which is now League 2. Um, we were atrocious at that time. We'd fallen all the way down the table. Um, and about 120 hardy souls there. And there's this Welsh music band called Youth Fat. Um, a couple of them have gone on to play in other Welsh music bands like Super Furry Animals and Catatonia since. And they started this, this dance on the uh, terraces. And it's just really blossomed from that point. At that time, it was... The football was so dire, they felt they were in mourning, and every time we shot and missed, it was a goalless ball draw, they would start doing it. Well, that well, Was one of them Iranian, or what, yeah, where did they yeah. draw it from? It was I just they had seen it. They had and... seen it and thought it would be funny to do it, and <laughs> it, it had stuck, and it's grown and grown and grown. So, um, you know, within a couple of years, people going last game of the season, fancy dress with tea towels on their heads, pretending to be Arabs and doing the dance. <laughs> We got accused when we beat Leeds in the FA Cup when we had a, guy, a, a chairman called Sam Haman in charge. And there was a lot of trouble in that game at the end uh, between Cardiff and Leeds fans because he did that walking around the pitch. They took that as the sign to actually start doing the trouble. Uh -huh. uh, so it was quite interesting. But it's something we still do today. You know, I was walking a couple of years ago down um, the strip in Las Vegas. Had a Cardiff uh, T-shirt on, just a little, little badge. You, unless you knew it was Cardiff, you wouldn't even realise it. Yeah. Person walked past me, started doing the Ayatollah, he was a fellow Cardiff fan. And I said, literally, you don't say anything, you just walk past and you do it. That's it's cool. just crazy. But then the best chance of the lot I've got, it really goes back again to the 1990s. We had a centre forward called Nathan Blake. He, he went on to better things away from us. But at the time, um, there was this major robbery taking place in, in a, the town next door, Newport. And um, the people went in there and they stole money from all the fruit machines, the gambling machines. And someone decided to report um, Nathan Blake as a person they saw on the roof of that building at the time. So he got taken in for, you know, questioning. He, he, he wasn't responsible. So the chant was, he's black, he's mean, he robs the fruit machines, Nathan Blake, Nathan Blake. <laughs> and that just went on and on for, you know, for a few years. Even when he left Cardiff, they'd still sing it when he played for Wales. That's great. I feel like in some ways you've, you've arrived, right? If your song, if your name is in a song, I you've can, done something so. good or bad, right? I think, okay, we've, I've made it. I think I've, he loved it. You know, I'm sure he did, right? It's funny. It's ironic, yeah. right? That's great. Let, let me ask you this. In, in regards to the songs and stuff, like I'm always super impressed with the different chants, different songs that every team seems to have. Like if you ask me, hey, what's a Phoenix Sun song? I'd be like, uh, 93, we had uh, some rappers sing a song about Cedric Sabalos. I, I don't know. How do you guys organize like the chants? Like how does a chant like that get dispersed among everyone that everyone's then going to know it at the next game? That's a good question. I mean, if you think back 
to the 1990s, as I said, there was very few people there. But you saw the same hardy souls going away. You know, you get a couple of hundred people away from home. A home games, you have a couple of thousand people there. And I think it's just the people who, who are loudest and they continued. If, if there was a humorous element to it, it would be sung. You do find nowadays that you know, people do um, copy each other's songs. Um, they adapt them a little bit. You know, we sing the, the song that Liverpool sing about Olay, 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 which actually is a Nepali song, you know. Uh -huh, so, I mean, yeah. you can keep on tracing it back. Um, but, you know, I, I think it just spreads in that way. I, think, I do think some of that humour and... and really has disappeared from some of the chants because we were on terraces there are big wide open spaces we could walk around talk to one another you may sing a couple of the chants in the bars beforehand you know and, and they, they do take off but I, I think some of the creativity really has has disappeared from the chants in, in recent times is the Premier League has really sanitized football yeah well my goal my one of my goals whatever team I choose my goal is to come up with a chant that I can somehow uh, distribute through social media and get chanted at a match. Maybe one that I'm at eventually. So that's that's a little side goal. You feel like there's like a decent shot of that happening now, just with the internet and social media and everything. Yeah. Oh, definitely, definitely. I, th I think that that would help. You know, and if you go to places like Phoenix Rising, there are songbooks and things of that nature yeah. at, the, at the start. Now, granted, they were a, a relatively new club. They came from the ashes of Arizona United or whatever. So. Yeah. But um, I, I think, you know, I think, I think it's, it's harder at, at the more established clubs. But if you go traveling away, you get used to seeing the same faces, the song starts and, and it develops from there. Yeah. All right. So who are you guys' rivals? You guys have like a, a natural derby with anyone or is there like a, just a team you guys hate more than the others? Teams we hate, you could probably, you know, it's who we don't hate. But, um, <laughs> Are there 19 teams you hate? Is that what we're getting at? There's an awful lot of teams you don't like. Um, our, our two natural rivals are Swansea City and Bristol City. They're, they're, they're 40 miles either side of us, roughly. Um, if you're of a certain age, you would hate Bristol City. If you, were, if you were a more recent convert to football, you would hate Swansea City. The reason why Bristol City is so hated is not only are they English, so there's always that spice with Cardiff games, you know, of Wales, uh -huh. Wales England type undercurrent, which I, I could have given you other chance, which are not as polite, you know. Um, <laughs> I'm sure. That, that um, does take place, but um, there was a major disaster um, in Wales in 1966. A school was covered in slurry on a hillside. For, uh, it was mine waste, coal, coal waste. Um, 116 kids died, 28 teachers and other people around there. And when they went to play Bristol City, they started chanting the name of the town and laughing. So, oh, I mean, I, I've been to Bristol City many times since. And I think this, I think most recent time I heard it chanted was in 2011 or something okay. there. But it always causes trouble. We don't like them. There was also carrot crunches and farmers and things like that. So when they're, when they're not our biggest fans of us either. Yeah. But then when I started, Swansea City were absolutely appalling. They were bottom division. We were one or two divisions above them. Our board of directors made the, the foolish mistake of allowing a guy called John Toshak, who had left us as a player, move to Liverpool. He wanted to come back and be player manager. Our board of directors said no. He went to Swansea, took him all the way up in the late 70s from Division 4 to Division 1. In wow. four or five years. Wow. Swansea became our rivals. Since then, you know, I mean, it's a bit of second city syndrome. We're the capital. We're the big place. 10, 15% of the 
the Welsh population live in Cardiff. As, we, as one of the banners say, we get everything, they get nothing. Uh-huh. Okay, Swansea, they, there's a load of derogatory names for them, about being gypsies, tramps, thieves, everything else. And so they have a second, synd- a second city syndrome. And um, what happens there is that we just don't, don't like one another. It, it really um, resulted in an awful lot of hooliganism in the late 80s and the 90s. We were banned from each other's grounds a few times. And from, nine, I'd say, mid-90s onwards, we have not been able to travel to one, other, one another's grounds unaccompanied by the police. So that, that is just crazy. And you had a term for that. So when we were talking beforehand, you mentioned a term. So what's it's, the term? The term is a bubble match. Okay. So it's a match upon which you have to travel on a designated coach from one or two pickup points to the venue. You get taken straight into the ground. You are not allowed to leave the ground. You get put straight back onto that coach, and then you're driven home. So even... And if you think about it, South Wales is a small place. It's possible that you will have Swansea fans in Cardiff or Cardiff fans in Swansea. They cannot go straight to the stadium for the away game. They have to go back to their hometown, board the bus, be under police escort. The police will actually put you in one lane of a three-lane freeway. They will close off every entrance and exit along. You'll have a helicopter overhead following you. It's like an, a military-like manoeuvre. And then they'll have a, a police on motorcycles and vans on the other side to keep you so all the traffic gets moved to just one lane yeah. on the freeway wow and you, you were taken there and back now and this is what natalie was mentioning uh when the in the burnley podcast because they have it is it blackburn they is would there? have had it with blackburn a few teams have it for the local derbies we still have it for swansea i don't think it's really needed now but there could still be some trouble we still have it for bristol city up until i think it was last season it was the first year it didn't operate for bristol city but we've had it for many others wolves Leeds, Stoke, you know, we, we, we've, we've had to go to quite a few places into these things. Still have to do it for Swansea. It's a shame, you know, I mean, I met a few Swansea guys who were great people, both at Rising and following Wales away, but you can't even go and have a drink with them. Uh-huh. Wow, that's amazing. Um, obviously, we're, we're near the end of the season. We're, what do you have, five matches Six remaining? Matches. Six matches remaining, five points in the relegation battle. How do you feel about that? How does that, um, how many years, I'm, I'm really unfamiliar with the history. How long have you been in the, is this the first year in the Premier League? We were in the Premier League um, about three seasons ago, four seasons ago. Okay. Um, but that was a rather controversial time. Okay. Because our owner, um, Vincent Tan, had decided to destroy our history and remove our blue shirts and replace them with red because red was lucky and blue wasn't. Oh, wow. So we did go up. Um, we spent one season at that time. It, it was filled with a load of off-field drama, not only with the fans who understandably were upset and I've yeah. got friends who haven't been to see Cardiff since. Wow. Um, but then there was also some squabbles with the uh, manager at the time spending too much money and everything else. So that was a disaster. That okay. time, this is our second. So time then, were you up up for one season up and for then one back season down? Went back down. We actually started the season with a guy called Malky Mackay, and we finished it with Oli Gunnarsson in charge. Okay, it was an absolute nightmare for us, despite his success at Man United. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and if you look at our team at that time, we had some great players. We had Gary Medell, who's captain of Chile. We had Wilfred Sahar, who played oh, for Man yeah. United yeah. and Palace. We had Kenwyn Jones, who were, uh, you know, the, the forward from uh, the Caribbean, played for Stoke. Uh-huh. We had some really good players. But 
Well, the, I mean, that's time. even some of the some of the articles I've read already about Man U is, did they hire him too soon? Because is he just so much better for the clubhouse than uh, uh, you know? I I mean, it, Jose was you know the the club was a disaster to walk into. I, I wouldn't have envied him having to take us over. That being said, the club allowed him to continue spending. Uh-huh. He was like a kid in a candy store buying everyone from wherever he could buy them. Uh-huh. You know, we, we get a goalless draw at home to Aston Villa and he changed the entire defence for the next game. So uh-huh. there was no real logic. Yeah. I think the mistake was he came to us too early and he needed a stronger backroom staff. Uh-huh. But going into Manchester United, they've got the squad, they've got the backroom staff. I'm sure Terry Freeland is a you know, superb number two to him. Um, and, you know, I, I wish the guy well. Yeah. He, he he, he's gone on and done better things, and that's good for him. Yeah, so, okay, I want to get back. But you were talking about managers. I want to talk about relegation or the potential for relegation as well. But tell me about Neil Warnock. How do you <laughs> feel about him? I, I understand he's as well a bit controversial of a manager, very outspoken. Um, he is. So tell me about him, and then how does that – because okay. he, if I understand correctly, he helped really bring you up to the Premier mm-hmm. League. So there's got to be a love because mm-hmm. of that. But now, like, just tell me, Neil Warnock, relegation, talk for okay. some time. Neil Warnock, he's known as the Marmite manager in the UK. Marmite is some um, vegetable substance you put on your bread. Oh, like Vegemite. Yeah, like, like Vegemite, Vegemite in, in, it in is, Australia. It is. Okay. So you either love it or hate it. Got it. Okay. okay. He's 70. He's t- led eight teams to promotion to the Premier League and not kept one of them up. So, so one, he's made it to one. He's led eight teams up for one season and then right back down. Oh, wow. Um, that being said, you know, when he came in, we were in free fall. We sacked Ali Gunasolska. He'd been um, replaced by a guy called Russell Slade. He, quite frankly, was a former phys ed teacher who was a relic of the past. He annoyed an awful lot of fans from day one. He, he, had his, he had a difficult task ahead. He had to try and clear, kept the, uh, the roster down to, to a manageable size. He wasn't popular. You know, within six games, they were calling for his head. He lasted a season and a half. They replaced him with his number two, who lasted about six games, eight games. Neil Warner came in. When Neil Warner joined us, we were hovering just above the relegation zone or just in the relegation zone of the championship. Last season, he finished mid-table. The following year, having spent very, very little money, he gets us up top two. Wow. So I, I think that whatever happens this season, we have to cut him some slack. Again, you know, we've, we've been given the smallest budget of anybody in the Premier League this season. You know, we're, we're far smaller than um, even teams like Huddersfield who spend two or three times uh-huh. what we have this year. Nowhere near the 70 or 80 million that Fulham well, Fulham's, Fulham seems it, to be quite a disaster with how much money they pumped in and how little results they've gotten. It, it's so. crazy. I think they had too big a turnover of staff, to uh-huh. be honest. Yeah. With Warnock's teams, they're not pretty on the eye. You um, get a great team spirit. They will fight to the death. Um, and they, they will give their all for the shirt. And if they don't, he'll, he'll kick you out of the club. Um, that said, I think he's, he has really energised the fan base. He's reunited the club like never before. The way in which you know we continue to chant even with three, four nil down at home, that wouldn't have happened the last time we were in the Premier League. Um, so I'm hoping that he can keep us up. If he does, it will be the, the highlight of his career. He's already said that. Um, it'd be a good way for him to retire. The guy's seventh. You can't keep on doing this. 
Yeah. What worries me is what will happen in the future because his style of play is a little outdated. Um, it is built upon solid defense, get the ball forward as quickly as you can, have a big man up front, do your best, you know? Yeah. Um, it's not the way the game is played today. And that was the problem last time, you know, we'd had a, quite a defensively-minded coach in Marky Mackay. Oliver uh, Solskjaer was forward-thinking yeah. the whole time. So, I don't know. I mean, I, I think we're going down, but, you know, at the moment, we've got four big games. We've got Brighton and Burnley back-to-back away next week. Yeah. We have Fulham away as well, and we have Crystal Palace home. If we can get three or four wins there, we could just about stay up. Yep. You know, so I don't want it to go to the last game. The last game is Man United away. So the last thing our fans will want to see is Ollie, like the big smile on his face as we go down. Oh, that's so true. Oh, so man. that won't go down very well. I no, think, that with, makes with the sense. Families. But um, I, I still think we've got, a, we've got a chance, but we're going to have to improve. The, the worrying thing for me is, we simply haven't got anyone who can score enough goals up front. Yeah. Hmm. So do you, uh, I mean, a lot, this is what we do a lot in America is once it's playoff times, getting towards the end of the season, we start searching schedules of opponents near us. So you guys are obviously facing relegation. Do you start looking at schedules of other clubs? It's been, um, it's been going on for quite some time. <laughs> I'm sitting here looking at Burnley's schedule, and I'm going, man, they've got a pretty rough final six. Like, if you guys can get by them and get a couple points along the way, it's going to be close. That's the thing. It's Burnley and Brighton. So if we can get, like, four points or six points from those two away games, I think Brighton haven't got a great run in either. And, you know, they're the other team that we could actually challenge. So people are looking at this. The, the permutations have been running the, um, the local Welsh newspapers now for quite a few weeks. BBC Wales has a permutation thing online. So, you know, we, we, we're used to seeing that. And that's the way it works, you know? I mean, yeah. the, the, the first thing I was looking at today when Man City scored after five minutes was, oh, God, you know, how, how are Chelsea doing against, um, you know, their team today? Brighton. They play Brighton, yeah. Yeah, so um, luckily Chelsea were winning that one. Yeah. So, you know, that, that's exactly what goes on. Yeah. All right, so let's get into the disaster, I mean, the match on Sunday. <laughs> um, I'm sure it's a little painful because you are obviously chasing as many points as you can get right now. Um, what, what were your thoughts on what went down? Well, the good thing was I didn't watch it live. Okay. It, it was my wife's 50th birthday last week, so we went away for a few days. So I only found out when we got back to the room. And I have seen it since. Um, I had first-hand reports from my dad, who was <laughs> present there, who wasn't very happy. Uh, my mum said it wasn't good for his blood pressure at all. Um, I, I, th- I think, you know, the ref and the officials as a whole, they have made a couple of grave mistakes. You know, it's quite clear that the offside goal was offside. There is no question whatsoever. I think it's also quite clear that the second... Um, penalty shout on Morrison when the guy had both his hands on one of Morrison's arms. That's right. It's a clear penalty. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, that's the way things go when you're at the bottom of the league. There's been loads of, you know, it's a conspiracy against the Welsh type approach and everything else. That's nonsense. I don't believe that for one minute, though I'm sure there is some corruption within the game. There's bound to be, but I don't think it's going to be particularly anti-Welsh. Um, but I do feel, you know, it, it, it's a shame. It, but we're not the first team to suffer from this, and we won't be the last. Swansea, much like to test them, you know, they, they lost to Man City in the FA Cup because they weren't allowed to have VAR in their ground. One of the goals wouldn't have stood there. 
uh-huh. and it was a few weeks ago. So it, it, it's something that unfortunately blights the game. Did we deserve a draw? Yeah, we probably did because Chelsea didn't look like scoring. Our defence was fairly resolute. We weren't attractive in possession. We're not a possession-based team. We're, we're one of the few teams that's happy without having possession of the ball. I think today we're down to 20% possession, but wow. it doesn't worry them. Um, but it really, you know, it really was devastating to realise that you lose you know, in the last seven minutes of a game. That, that, that is a nightmare. It's great if you win at the end. It's awful if you lose, you know. And unfortunately, it was a disaster. I'd rather us have been 2-0 down earlier in the game and we just got a consolation back. I still think, you know, if we'd have got a point there, I think Brighton and Burnley may have been a little bit more twitchy. Yeah. They now both know next week all they have to do is ensure that we don't win. Yeah, that's right. Because that keeps the points gap between us and them. That's all either of them has to do. And then the pressure really is upon us. And I imagine you even begin at some point to to set your team up for that type of result, which I'm sure, again, there's also challenges with that as a coach. Do do we play our game? Mm -hmm. Because you know when you play not to lose – or that's it only takes one error isn't it? yeah you that's know? right like that's not a really good way way to yeah. lose but you have to have to have that in the back of your mind our mind like a draws as good as a, of a, as a win in this point right no, so it would be it would be so you know it's devastating but you know i looking at it at this point last week i thought well we've got chelsea we've got man city zero points yeah we've got liverpool and man united zero points I know the four games I'm homing in on. And those right. are the four that I'm focused on. And that is going to define our season. Yep. Amazing. Let me ask you a question about the first goal that tied it up. Um, obviously, player was offsides. Yes, uh, yes. I'm watching it and not knowing all the exact rules. Uh, there's two guys offsides. So my question was, if the guy who actually scored the goal was onside, but the player who didn't touch the ball was offsides, would they have stopped that play? Or should they have stopped that play? It will depend upon whether the ref believes he is interfering with play. So if the, the guy who was offside uh, made a move to go for that ball or was in the line of vision of the goalkeeper, he could be deemed offside. Um, I would suggest that um, I don't think he actually moved. I think, you know, quite honestly, he was to the side of the goalkeeper's vision. So, yeah, he would be in his line of sight. I think it'd be much more controversial if the guy who scored had actually been onside. But... You know, there's no excuse. This is from a corner. It's not even a quick breakaway. Yeah. There is no excuse for that uh, decision to be made. It, it, it's, it's shambolic. And the number of referees that, and ex-referees that have come out and said since, what were they doing? It really does call into question. And, you know, I mean, I, I thought the way in which Warnock reacted at the end was interesting. He, <laughs> he's known as a guy that will rant and argue and get really annoyed. We saw it with Nuno last season at Wolves. And did this year, you know, all he did he just went straight onto the pitch. He stood in the middle and he just stared him down. And then he clapped <laughs> the fans as they were booing and shouting, you don't know what you're doing, and 2-1 to the referee and various other less polite terms. And, you know, he was just there staring him down. When it cut back to NBC Sports Studios, Rebecca Lowe, the first thing she says was, wow, that was quite a bit of restraint shown by Neil Warnock right there. I mean, it's one of my favorite parts of the whole match was just watching him stare those refs down, applaud the fans, like keep staring at the refs. I mean, it was... It it was was incredible. Although apparently he might get into trouble because his wife said that she wouldn't have blamed him if he'd gone and hit the referee after that. Yeah. Which isn't really the right thing to say. <laughs> I mean, he said he's given his wife a red card and banned her for a week. You know, it's yeah. a typical sort of Warner 
joke. But yeah. quite honestly, you know, I, I don't think you should really encourage abuse towards officials, no matter how bad they are. And boy, are there some bad ones in the Premier League and in the USL. Yeah, yeah. So my question after the game was, why isn't there instant replay? I mean, instant replay is huge, obviously, now in America when it comes to football. We've implemented it in all these different sports here. Um, is there any sort of call for instant replay coming in to the Premier League at all? There will be. I believe next season VAR will be trialed at all Premier League games. Um, I think ultimately it's the cost. You have to bear in mind that, I mean, we, we had goal line technology introduced, I don't know, it's been the last time in the Premier League, four, four years ago or whatever. Um, I, I think it has to be brought in because whilst I accept that, you know, if we go down by three points, we had the rest of the season to try and get those three, it's still going to stick in the throat if we go down because we failed to beat Chelsea. And, you know, it, it if you go down you. by one, yeah, I'm right. If you go one. down by one and it's yeah. the difference between a, a draw I and I mean, that one point. There, there are too many decisions that, you know, need to be made. Now, fans in, in football don't normally enjoy interference of that nature. OK, goal line technology was introduced. It was instantaneous. They like that. The VAR thing, we saw it trialed in the World Cup. Um, it got mixed reviews. Because, I mean, some decisions are still going to be challenged. You know, you mentioned, you know, if, if he'd put that ball in the net and the other guy uh, was offside but not him. It's still controversial. The, the, the refs will still debate that. VAR won't determine that one way or another. There's still some, some degree of human subjective input. Same with the penalties. You know, people have said that the first one of argument was a penalty. The second one on Morrison last week was. The red card instead of a yellow yep. when, um, when Zahor was through. Yeah. The keeper probably would have got the ball, so arguably the yellow card was right. Yeah. But again, VAR wouldn't give you a definitive answer. You still have one or two refs watching it in the studio or upstairs in the stadium somewhere, and they, they will give different views. So I think it should be introduced. I think the key thing is to minimise the amount of time it takes to get a decision off the back of it. Yeah. yeah. I'm one of those guys, like, the black and white stuff, I want it to be black and white. Like, offsides is, is kind of one of those black and white things. Like, right. I get it when there's rule interpretations, like with the second guy coming into play. I, I get all that. But, like, the guy who scored was offsides, and it took 10 seconds on the replay to see it was offsides. It's even funny to hear the announcers go, that's a good goal. Let's take a look. Oh, he was offsides. You know, <laughs> like, it literally took 10 seconds to be like, yeah, he was offsides. Like, why can't that call – be corrected in that amount of time it seems so simple it does and i think it's going to happen but you know part of the enjoyment has always been like discussing the controversial decisions in games you know it, the, the bars are being full of it thereafter my parents walked into a bar after the game on sunday and at the first thing people said was that was a goal what was the you know what yeah. was that goal it just shouldn't happen yeah yeah um so you know i think it's part of the appeal of football but yeah. I, I totally agree with you, you know, I mean, if, if we lose 90, 100 million pounds off the back of that, because, you know, we go down by one to three points. Yeah. I think, you know, I'd imagine the owner won't be very happy. For sure. <laughs> but so there are you make extra money when those bad calls happen. So, you know, it's all about yeah. the pub too. No, I think it's a, a worthwhile investment. They just have to really limit, you know how much they allow video evidence to interfere. I don't want a situation like in your basketball where by a two minute, period can last for 25 minutes or something that's just crazy yeah stop start stop start it just seems ludicrous yeah there were two there were two guys who stood out to me in the game um john murphy and aaron gunnerson oh josh murphy josh murphy aaron gunnerson both really stood out 
is that normal? Are these two of the better okay. players? Um, who else okay. should we have been keyed in on? I mean, Gunnarsson is unique to watch, right? Mm -hmm. So maybe that's why. But he also seemed to be – I mean, he can throw the He's ball a, a mile. He can throw the ball a mile, aggressive. Like So he was engaged in a lot of the plays. Yeah, Gunnarsson so. is in his last season with us. He's okay. going to sign for a team in Qatar um, okay. in, in the summer. He's been with us eight years. Oh, wow. He was a free transfer. I think we paid – £200,000 compensation. He was under 24 to Coventry City at the time. He has been a phenomenal servant to the club. Mm. Um, during the bad time after Solskjaer, when we had the two before Warnock, he barely got a game. We, no one understands why, because mm. the man is a dog. He will run box to box. He will give his all for the club. Um, nobody really blames him moving on to Qatar to get his final payday because yeah. his career is coming to an end his body's taken an awful lot of knocks he's done very well for Iceland Josh Murphy was a new signing this year okay. um, we spent 11 million pounds on him he came from Norwich City his brother plays for Newcastle okay um, I think we got the better one of the two but <laughs> honestly he blows hot and cold but he's young and I think that's the difference this time with what we've invested into last time. We spent in the 30 million on players, but 11 million went on Josh Murphy. He's, you know, 2021. 20, we're going to get our money back off him, even if we go down. He's likely to stay another season. He's not going to grow. He's got a lot of pace. He's frustrating because I think he goes down too easily. I think the main reason why we're still having a fighting chance is three players this year. Two of them are on loan, Harry Arta and Victor Camarasa. Art is a slightly better quality of footballer than Aaron Gunnison, but very similar everywhere. Picks up far too many yellow cards, but, you know, that's the nature of his game. And an Irishman, we always like Irish and Scottish players at our club. Fellow Celts. Yeah. Um, Victor Camaras has come on loan from Real Betis. He's only joined us this year because his wife actually went as a student for a year at Cardiff University. <laughs> nice. Um, she convinced him to come. He's been phenomenal. He's been linked with a £15 million move to Tottenham in the summer. He's not going to stay with us regardless. He, he's the, the one skillful merchant in the middle of the field. Probably the best player that we've got you know, at the moment is Neil Etheridge. Eight clean sheets. That, that was, that's definitely more than Arsenal. And I'm not sure now after today whether Man City have hit eight or not. But before today, that was more than Man City have had this season. Given they were a team at the bottom, he was a free transfer from Walsall. And most of us didn't think much of him last year. The way in which that guy stepped up to the mark this season, I cannot see him staying with us because he's going to be a great backup at the very least to another keeper in the Premier League if we get relegated. Great. That's good to know. It's also so the first Filipino to play in the Premier League. Uh-huh. Okay. That's great. That's interesting. Not, not to have you beg or anything, but <laughs> if, you were, if you were making a pitch to, to Nate and I to become fans of your team uh, with you guys staring down re relegation, well, what would that pitch be? How would you get us to say, I know there might be some options out there for you, but come on over. Come on over to Cardiff. Look, it's, it's very easy to support a team that wins every week. And I understand why people do that. Okay, it makes perfect sense. But I can assure you, having seen Cardiff go all the way down to the bottom of the English Football League, have to face real action, and then um, when we've gone all the way back up, 
the joy is far greater for us. You know, it means an awful lot. We are the capital city of Wales. We're far bigger than Swansea. They won't like that, but it's true. Um, sorry, Mark, if you're listening, but unlucky. Um, and we, we, we definitely, you know, you, you would have a great time with us. We have a, um, a serious drinking culture, so you probably enjoy that. Um, we're not quite as uh, troublesome as we were in the past, but some of our fans, you know, they are ex-miners, ex-steel workers. They, 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 they um, are quite happy to respond to acts of aggression towards uh, fellow Welsh people, shall we say, you know? So, they, um, but I think you'd have a great time. I know there were a couple of guys that flew across from the US Bluebirds for the first time a couple of weeks ago. They even ended up meeting the manager, going on Radio Wales and everything else. Oh, that's cool. Uh, they, they were treated, you know, like, like kings for the day and um, thoroughly enjoyed it. So I would recommend, even if you decide not to come with Cardiff, and hey, we won't be Premier League next year, so you'll have to invest, you know, 100 bucks and in, in the club's own TV to watch it online. Um, you know, find another team towards the bottom, an unconventional, unfashionable team. Forget your Liverpool, Man United, Arsenal, Tottenham, Chelsea. You know, big deal, you know, that you can see, you want to see winners, go support the Yankees or the Dodgers. Yeah. Oof, those are gross teams. For, exactly. For, for, for and Chris and I. Yeah, yeah, that's they're, right. They're the exact same. They are the exact same. Go for an unfashionable club. There we go. So we like to finish each week with a term of the week. Um, You've got a couple terms that you wanted to present to us. So, uh, yeah, go for it. Educate us. Okay. So the first one is a derogatory term that's used to describe football in South Wales. To give you a context, South Wales is um, split between rugby and football, rugby union. Okay. So it's like American football without the pads. It's the best way to describe it. A little, yep. bit, a little bit more aggressive. Um, I think, um, you know, over time, that that has, has collapsed, but the term is Wendy Bull. So the idea is that, you know, um, football is a game for gentlemen played by thugs, whereas rugby is a game for thugs played by gentlemen. Rugby is seen as synonymous with the establishment, so in South Wales, um, whereas football is a little bit more cutting edge and a little bit more anti, you know, establishment. The rugby is, um, you know, is patron saint and things, yeah, it's the English royal family. Whereas you, you find a, a bigger independence movement within the Welsh football fraternity. So, so the so the rugby fans call football, football Wendy Ball. Wendy Ball. Yeah. Okay. As in Wendy from Peter Pan. Yes. Okay. okay. Is, 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 is I got it. Yep. That's great. The, the other really interesting thing is the impact of, of my club upon one of the rules of the game. Um, what what we found is that um, back in the 1920s we had a goalkeeper, um, Irish goalkeeper Farquhar Harson. Um, and he used to rush towards the penalty taker every time the opposition was awarded a penalty. Uh, he allegedly had some uh, Irish paramilitary links as well. I'm not sure whether that's true or not. He won the FA Cup with us in 1927, so he, he got that success. But to stop that happening, FIFA and IFAB changed the laws of the game, which is why today, ever since, a goalkeeper has to stay on the line before the penalty is kicked. I like the Bush League play well enough, and uh, that, that's, I, I think that'd be my tactic if I were a keeper. Just charge him. He charged him, and he, apparently he used to have success. He said if he went running forward, you know, he, he had a better opportunity to decide which way to dive when they were kicking the ball, and he, he was successful. But Well, even mathematically, right, you're cutting down the angle exactly. at which they can exactly. take a shot. And I'd imagine a big guy running towards you, you know. Yeah, it, it's it startles you a bit, yeah. 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 
that's I'm great. I like it. <laughs> well, Ant, thank you so much for coming on. It's been really great uh, to learn more about Cardiff City Football Club, uh, the Bluebirds, and uh, we the number one team in Wales. The number one team in Wales. There you go. Always number one. You. We are rooting for you to avoid relegation. We're, we will be watching uh, these last few weeks to see how you guys fare. Okay. So Thank you very thanks much. so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Football Neophytes Podcast with Nate Hughes and Chris Smith. Our theme song is Something Elated by Broke for Free. Thanks to One Mission, a community development organization giving people in poverty the opportunity to earn a house by serving their community. If you like these podcasts, go to onemission.org donate and donate to this amazing organization. As always, 100% of your donation will go directly to our projects and programs and be tied directly to a family. That's onemission.org donate. Recording, mixing, etc., etc. is done by me, Nate Hughes. Thanks to my co-host Chris Smith for his insightful questions, and thanks to my wife for the beautiful intro. We're on both iTunes and Google Play. Please rate us, comment if you enjoy the podcast. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Football Neophyte. That's Football Neophyte without the E. We'll be back next week. Until then, grace, peace, and love. What do you think, Jax? Are they going to score? Um, mm, no. No? I hope they do. Oh. I said it. I know. You called it. <laughs>